Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Well, this morning I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are finally moving past the Beatitudes uh, into the next section of the Sermon on the Mount with a sermon entitled, Are You Salt and Light or Just Lightly Salted? Now, most of you probably know that this summer, uh, Lauren and I tried our hand at gardening for the first time. Uh, I love fresh vegetables. I, I love that that you can plant seeds in the earth and plants grow and that fruit and vegetables will grow on those plants that you can then harvest and eat. But one of the things that I was most looking forward to more than anything else was some fresh homemade garden pickles. I I love nothing more than a big dill pickle. One of my favorite things in the world. And so I planted the dill, I planted the cucumbers, I bought the jars and I waited and And sure enough, the time came, the the cucumbers started to grow, and and then one day they were like the size of footballs. I was like, okay, we need to to get get on top of this a little bit better. But uh, I picked the first batch of cucumbers, I warmed the jars up in the oven, I filled them up with cucumbers and spices, and then I boiled the salt and the vinegar on the oven, and I poured it in, and I put the lids on and waited for them to start popping. Now, it was hard because I can be impatient. But I waited for like a week for these things because I wanted to make sure they were good and you know, got all the flavor in them. And, and I took a jar and I opened it up and I was so excited. I took the first vinegary dill bite of pickle goodness and immediately puckered up because I'd put way too much salt in the brine. You see... Salt is necessary to put in the vinegar there to preserve the pickles. But it also lends its flavor to the pickles as well. And so when you have too much, you taste it. You know it. Especially in pickling. It's still absolutely necessary. And it amazes me when you think about it that the vines have been dried up for weeks and any cucumbers that I might have picked off of them, even if I put them in the refrigerator, by now they're, they're, they would be rotten. But you know, you put a little salt in a jar with them and some vinegar and you put them on a shelf and they'll last for months and months. It's a wonderful thing. It's the magic of one of the most common substances on the planet. Salt. This substance can... Do anything from preserving pickles to flavoring your potatoes. can kill weeds. It can balance the, the amount of moisture that's in your own body. It allows your nerves to function. We all need salt. It can melt snow off the parking lot and a whole host of other things. So when Jesus makes the pronouncement that we're going to read in just a minute, that his followers are the salt of the earth, And after that, that they are to be the light of the world. We can be sure that these statements are filled with significance and meaning for our lives. It's clear here that Jesus wants us 
to be salt and light so that we can have an impact on the world around us, so that we can affect the people that we meet, the places that we work, our families, our friends. Jesus wants us to have an impact on the world in which we live. Yet too many Christians today, unfortunately, are not really the type of salt and light that Jesus seems to expect his followers to be. They're instead just slightly salted. And so as we examine this morning what it means to be salt and light in our context, I would invite you, if you're able, to stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Here Jesus says to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the God, the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank you once more for your word. We thank you for the challenge that Jesus issues here to us after he's just told us how he expects us to live and how we can pursue happiness through the Beatitudes, he then turns and he tells us that there are expectations that come along with following him. Lord, we thank you that you have not just saved us and called us immediately home to heaven. You've given us a mission, a purpose. You've called us to be something, to do something for the time that you've given us on this earth. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be what you have called us to be, to do what you have called us to do, to be salt and light in a world that is dark and rotten. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to understand our calling from your word today. And I pray, Lord, that that you would just remove me from the equation so that the clarity of Jesus' own instruction shines through today. And that we would leave this place challenged, eager, Lord, to be the kind of salt and light that you expect us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, here, at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus provides his followers with two different analogies to help us understand how it is that we're supposed to influence the world around us. Now, these analogies ultimately have the same meaning, even if they emphasize slightly different aspects that we are to influence the world around us. Salt, first, the first analogy they use is salt has a multitude of uses, as we mentioned just a moment ago. But the two that it seems that Jesus would have been referring to in this use is that it's, one, a flavor enhancer. And second, it is used to preserve things like pickles. Light, on the other hand, influences 
the world around it by illuminating. And specifically here, Jesus says that it can induce the glory of God or it can prompt or promote the glory of God in the world around us. The bottom line, though, before we look at these specific applications is that Jesus expects you and me as believers to have an impact. He expects that of us. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You see, Jesus didn't save you so that you could just eat, pray, love, and then coast your way to heaven, right? He didn't save you so that you could just sit on your haunches and and wait for the time that He called you home to be with Him. He didn't save you so that you could attend church once or twice a week maybe and, and give your offering and then live your life the rest of the time with no discernible difference from your neighbors around you. No, He saved you for saltiness. He redeemed you for radiance. He bought you for brightness. He saved you for a purpose. If you're here and you are a Christian and Jesus has not called you home to heaven yet, you can be sure that it's because you have a purpose. You have a mission to accomplish. And it extends far beyond just waiting for heaven. And if we don't get that, if we don't understand that we're here for a reason, that being salt and light involves a necessary outward focus in our lives and to the world around us, that we're supposed to have an impact, if we don't get that, then what ends up happening is we will squander our lives thinking that we're doing what God wants. We we will avoid evil. We'll say, well, I don't do the bad things that God doesn't want me to do. You know, I, I, don't, I don't go to the places that God doesn't want me to go. I don't say the words He doesn't want me to say. I don't do the types of things that the pagans do. And I'm just going to wait till it's time to go to heaven and enjoy my reward. And Jesus says, no, I expect you to be doing something positive in the world around you. I expect you to be salt. I expect you to be light. You've got work to do. In fact, Jesus says that the type of ineffectual Christianity that doesn't have any impact on the world around it, that's just biding its time until Jesus comes back or until you die and go to heaven, that type of ineffectual Christianity is no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's what Jesus thinks of ineffectual Christianity. Christianity that has no impact in the world around it. You see, the problem is that the world around us, the world that God created in six days and proclaimed that it was good, everything that He saw, everything that He spoke into existence, everything that He touched, He said, it's good. And then sin came into the equation. And like a cancer, it spread until it affected every aspect of creation. And now, instead of being the good world and the ordered world that God created, Jesus recognized that it is deteriorating. It's full of rot and decay. It's full of blandness and darkness. Because you see, if the world was not bland, if it was not rotten and decaying, it wouldn't need salt. And if it was not dark, 
it would not need light. But in general, people tend to overestimate the goodness of the society in which they live. They tend to be overly hopeful about the trajectory of the world around them. This was especially true if you go back to the turn of the century. Not 1999, but 1899. Go back a little bit longer. You know, 1999, everybody was afraid that Y2K was going to wipe us all out, right? Some of you young people don't remember that, but that was a big deal. You know, we, we were worried for a minute what was going to happen. But, but in 1899, people were much more hopeful. You see, there had been so many advancements in the world. We could communicate with people around the globe. We, we, we had cures. We had things like penicillin that had been discovered so people didn't have to die from common diseases that could be easily treated. People were making more money. There was Globally, the wealth was increasing. There had been a long time of peace and prosperity. And people generally thought that the world was getting better because of these scientific advancements. The world would continue to get better and better and there would be peace and we would create a heaven on earth. And then World War I happened. And all the mud and blood and chaos and death, people realized, oh, things aren't as good as we thought. Things aren't continuing to get better and better and better. And there's this period that became known as the Great Disillusionment. So many people had their hopes and dreams shattered because they realized that the world was not getting better and better. It was getting worse. And around us today, we can see the world continues to get worse. We've just spent the past two and a half years suffering through a pandemic. Right? I don't have to convince you that the world is getting worse. We see the darkness. We see the rot. We see the decay around us. Jesus said that Satan, at least temporarily, is the ruler of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. And that this world is filled with spiritual darkness. It's filled with enemies of God. All kinds of sin. All kinds of maliciousness. And we are headed down a downward spiral that will only continue to get worse until Jesus returns. Jesus said that before He returns, we can expect it to get as bad as the days of Noah. And the Bible tells us that the days of Noah was a time when every thought and intention of man's heart was only evil continually. That's pretty bad. And that's the world that if we're not living in it right now, that's the world we're heading toward. And things will only continue to get worse. But until Jesus does come back, He expects His followers to influence this dark and rotten world as salt and light. So how do we do that? How do we influence the world around us? Well, the very first thing we can do as salt, as the salt of the earth, is to add flavor. This is one of the primary functions of salt. To improve the taste of our food. To make it savory and delicious. There's few things that can't be improved upon by adding a little sprinkling of salt. And so how do we as Christians do this? Well, simply stated, I think we live life to the fullest and we demonstrate to others around us the path to true happiness and joy. 
Jesus says that I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Jesus wants us to have a full and abundant and joyful life. So that if you are the only Christian in your workplace, if you are the only Christian in your home, you should be the most joyful person there. Not because everything in your life is all worked out and going hunky-dory. Right? That's not always going to be the case. Sometimes you may be under the greatest burden and hardship of anyone that you know. But your joy remains steadfast because it is rooted in Christ and in the hope of heaven. You see, salt doesn't cease to be salty when conditions are hard. Right? It just keeps right on being salt. Light doesn't get diminished because the darkness grows. As a matter of fact, light has this wonderful property about it that it actually becomes more powerful the darker the situation. Right? The greater the darkness, the more brightly even a small light will shine. And so just because your circumstances, because your situation is difficult, it's not an excuse for you to tap out of the race and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I can't do it anymore. No, in those dark and difficult circumstances, you can be all the more a bright light shining for the glory of God. You can be even more salty. Not in the way the world means today, right? The world talks about people being salty and it means you know some grump and, and whatnot. And we don't necessarily need to be grumps, that kind of salty. But, but we need to be the kind of salt that influences the world in a positive way that adds flavor to life. You see, we talked for the past couple of weeks about persecution and how for so many of our brothers and sisters... It's remarkable that they are able to remain joyful even in, the, even in the midst of oppressive persecution. Even under the threat of arrest and torture. They're able to remain joyful. They are able to remain the kind of salt that flavors the world around them. Because their eyes are fixed on Jesus. Surely we can remain joyful. Not because... We are free from difficult circumstances, but because we have a greater hope. Our joy then is like a sprinkling of salt on a nice medium rare steak. And I know I need to be careful about making you all hungry here. Uh, I've still got a little bit more sermon to go. But, but our lives are enhanced by our walk with Christ. Just like the flavor of food is enhanced with salt. And this isn't just observationally true. It's not wishful thinking to say that Christians ought to be more joyful. Study after scientific study has revealed that those who follow biblical principles in their lives end up experiencing greater joy. People who are married to one person without cohabitating beforehand regularly in study after study after study report greater joy and satisfaction in their life. They report greater joy when it comes to those intimate connections that's experienced within marriage. Greater joy than those who are pursuing a hookup culture that promises consequence-free sex. It turns out that isn't producing the type of happiness that the world promises. 
that people were hoping for. Do you know what is? Marriage. You know what else produces happiness? Children. Right? Time after time, when, when scientists look at these things and they evaluate the levels of satisfaction that people experience, it's those that are following a biblical pattern that experience the greatest joy. Now I know that there are some who are not married in this room and wish that they were. Some who have been divorced. Some who are childless. Now just because those things are not a reality in your life doesn't mean that you do not have an avenue for joy, that you don't have a way to be salt and flavor the world around you. It doesn't mean that you don't have a way to show how Christ produces joy in our lives. You absolutely have that. Because you know what else produces joy? Belonging to a close-knit organization, like a church, and pouring out your life into others who need you and you need them. And you're able to pray for and support and love and share meals and bear burdens and, and, and share joys with one another. It's almost as if God prescribes a plan for us and for our lives that He knows is going to produce joy in us. So then as we live as God prescribes, we show people how much life is to be enjoyed. How you can enhance the flavor of everyday experiences. The Christian, I would argue, should enjoy a sunset or gardening a cool summer breeze or fishing even more than your unchristian neighbors because we are able to see these things for what they are. They are blessings given to us by a good God who wants us to be joyful. And so we can experience those things to the fullest and as we do, we are showing the world what a life flavored by Christ looks like. If your life is boring... I would say, find something to do. That's, that's your fault. My children will often come to me and say, I'm bored. And I say, why? You've got shelves full of books. You've got a basement full of toys. You've got a field you can go run in. Right? What, what is there to be bored of? If your life isn't flavorful, read a book. Count the stars. Take a walk. Build a fire, smell a flower, and marvel at the God who made such things. And you will begin to see that God has made us for joy. So that we can flavor the world around us. So that we can see and then show people what it looks like to be salt. The other function of salt is to preserve. And for much of world history... Salt was the primary preservatives, right? People in Jesus' day, when he was preaching this sermon, they didn't go home and, and pull out a, a, a seltzer water out of the refrigerator, right? They, 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 didn't, they didn't have those things. And so if you wanted to preserve food, you packed it in salt. Because bacteria cannot grow in salty environments. Now, we've already said that the rot of this world is going to continue to grow. We need to know that from the outset. But until Jesus comes back, our job is to push back against that rot as best we can, wherever we can. 
We may only be able to influence a small little area, a small little circle of of relations, a, a workplace, a family, a friend. But to whatever extent we're able, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to push back against the rot that's overtaking this world. We kill the bacteria of sin wherever we see it spring up. Anywhere within our sphere of influence. As a matter of fact, when you look back throughout history, you see that some of the greatest social movements that's produced the most good have been born out of Christian principles. People have been motivated by their love of God to be salt in their communities. And that has led to tremendous amounts of change. The abolitionist movement. The civil rights movement. The movement to improve health care. Just think about how many hospitals have the name Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic in front of it. All these things were developed because people wanted to be salt in their community. They wanted to push back against the rot of the world. Where do we see rot? We need to have our eyes open looking around us thinking... How can I influence the world around me for good? How can I work as a preservative to push back against the rot in my community? You know, we look around us and the violence here in the city in which we live is staggering. I I don't know what the answer is. I don't don't have a, a roadmap of solutions here. Worked out for what Boone's Creek Baptist Church can do to stop the violence in this community. But, but that's not how people start. Most of the time they see the problem and they say, how can we act as Christians in this context? How can we push back against this rot? What can we do? And it may be small. It may turn into something bigger. But we need to look and we need to think about how we can start. The... Opioid epidemic is claiming more lives every day. Children are filling up the foster care system because of abuse and neglect. It's all happening right here on our doorstep. More broadly, our country is tearing itself apart over abortion. Hospitals are mutilating children by removing perfectly healthy body parts to appease the God of transgenderism. And all of this is rot and darkness. And the fact that you're sitting here and Jesus hasn't called you to heaven yet means that you have a part to play in pushing back against this. You have a job that you can do. You may not be President of the United States. You may not be a mayor or a city council member. But we can all push back against the rot. It doesn't matter if it's a losing battle. It doesn't matter if the world hates you for it. You see, salt never protests that the job is too big. Or that it won't be appreciated for the efforts. Salt just goes to work, accomplishing the will of its user. Flavoring, preserving, cleansing, doing what salt does. It doesn't complain if it's used on Brussels sprouts instead of steak. right? It just says, if this is where you want me, this is what I'm going to flavor. This is what I'm going to do. So too, we serve the will of our Father to flavor and preserve until Jesus takes us home to be with Him.
Maybe we need to spend some time praying, even today, figuring out, God, where can you use me? Where is the rot that I can push back against? Where are areas in my world, in my circle of influence that I can flavor for Christ? Where I can show people the goodness of Jesus. But salt isn't the only thing that Jesus says that we are. He also says that we are the light of the world. Now light has one primary function. And that is to illuminate. I remember when I was with the Boy Scouts, we flew out to New Mexico and we went on this hike. We were out in the mountains for a couple of weeks and we would go to these different camps along the way. And at one spot, we went to an old abandoned silver mine that was there in the mountains. And our guide led us deep into the mine and pointed out where we could see that they had trailed off pursuing the silver line and we kept on going deep, deep, deep into this mountain and we finally came to the end and they said, here's where the silver stopped. But then they said, we're not just going to turn around and walk out because sometimes circumstances would make that impossible. And so they had us turn out the lights in our hard hats. And when we did, darkness overwhelmed us. It was so dark. I've never experienced darkness like that before. You you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. I almost poked my eyeballs trying to see my hand. There is no light, zero light in the back of that mine. And they then gave us the task of finding our way out. So we had to feel our way along the cold stone walls as we retraced our steps and tried to get back to the entrance of the mine. And I'll admit it was claustrophobic, it was scary, it's not something I ever want to do again. And I got to a point where we'd been walking and hadn't reached the entrance and I wanted so badly to turn that light on, but all of a sudden things started to become just slightly clear. I could start to make out some shapes along the walls and suddenly pitch black went to dark gray. And the light started to increase bit by bit until finally we turned a corner and we saw the entrance with light streaming in. You see, light makes all the difference. It doesn't matter how dark a room or even a mine might be. If you have just the faintest amount of light, it can change the whole landscape. It changes your whole perspective. It allows you to feel safe. That's what we're supposed to be for the world. Right now, the world is groping about in darkness, surrounded by sin, blinded by sin. And we are supposed to be a ray of light that is cutting through that darkness, showing them that there is hope to be found, that you don't have to be scared and alone, that you can find hope in Jesus Christ. By and large, though, Unfortunately, the world will not respond positively to the light. Now that the sun is starting to rise later and later in the morning, whenever I I wake the kids up for school, it's usually still pitch black outside. The sun hasn't started to rise, right? And just this past week, we had a situation. I'm sure if you're a parent, you've never experienced this before, but, but we got up a little bit late and we were in a hurry. Right. Now, normally I like to go to my child's bedside and sit down and, you know, tap them gently and call their name and say, it's time to wake up. You know, 
Come on, the day's waiting for you, you know, just sweet and nice. But this day we were late, and so I go in and I flip on the light and I say, get out! And how did they respond when that light came on? With weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? You would think that the light was acid burning their skin, the way that they reacted to that light. You see, sadly, the, the world will react the same way to our light as Christians. John tells us in the introduction to his book that in Jesus was the light of men, that light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. But later in John 3, when Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus, he tells Nicodemus that the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, I'm not saying that just because we have trouble waking up in the winter months when the sun isn't up that we're evil, right? Or that we love the darkness. Jesus is talking spiritually here. But whenever you expose people's deeds for what they are, they're going to react negatively. When you shine a light in darkness, people are going to respond negatively. Because their works are evil, Jesus says. The same way that our senses rebel against the light early in the morning when we're not accustomed to it, the world is so accustomed to the darkness that it can rarely tolerate the light. Yet we must shine. We must be light. Even knowing that the world hates the light. Because this is what Jesus has called us to and because there's so much at stake. Which brings us to our last point here. We are to induce the glory of God. You see, both of these analogies that Jesus uses, they carry a warning. He says, if you stop being salty, he says, if you're, if you're ineffective in the world around you, salt that isn't salty isn't good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, it's true that salt doesn't lose its saltiness. The, the true, pure salt remains salt no matter what, but it can become ineffective if it is contaminated, if it is mixed with impurities, right? If it mixes with something that is not salt. And so in the same way, we can become ineffective when we are contaminated, when our lives are polluted by the world. Likewise, Jesus warns us that a light is useless if you put it under a basket, So we must not disguise or hide the light. And so with each of these analogies, Jesus says there's a danger. There's a danger. You're the salt of the earth, but if you become contaminated, if you cease to function as salt because you've been so contaminated and corrupted, you're useless. If you cease to function as light because you are hiding or disguising that light, you're useless. So the danger for us is that we become corrupted by the world or that we disguise or hide our Christian walk so that nobody sees the light of Christ exuding from us. But when we overcome these dangers, when we are salt and light in a rotten and dark world, then something wonderful happens. People begin to see our good works. And as a result, Jesus says they will give glory to God the Father. 
This is good news for us. Because it doesn't matter if you are 9 or 90. It doesn't matter if you're single, married, widowed, or divorced. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white. Your job is to let your good works shine like light. To preserve and flavor like salt. So that in the end, God is glorified. This is our mission. To make sure that the name of Jesus Christ is exalted. That God the Father is glorified by the way that we live our lives in a lost and dying world. When people see your good works, your joy, your good works should cause them to turn and praise God. You see, this is the secret to Christianity. All other religions tell you that you need to do good things so that you get rewarded, so that you get to go to heaven when you die. All other religions will tell you if you just do more good than bad, you'll be okay. Christianity, on the other hand, tells us that Jesus has already done the good works for us. He has already been obedient to the point of death on the cross for your sins. And that He rose again from the dead. So that if you trust in Him, He will forgive you of your sins. And more than that, He will transform you into someone who can now be effective in the world around you. He takes you and He makes you the opposite of what you were. You see, we were at one point part of the rot and decay. And he says, I'm not just going to clean you up and make you no longer rotten and dead and decaying. I'm actually going to transform you to where you're now salt. See, we were once part of the darkness. We were blinded by our sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus says, I'm not just going to take you and, I'm, and, and open your eyes. No, I'm going to take you from darkness and now I'm going to make you light. Jesus' transformation of us is complete. It is a total and utter transformation so that He takes us from dead and He makes us alive so that we can now be salt and light in a dark and rotten world. The fact that we're still alive, the fact that you're gathered here today, means that Jesus still has purpose for you. You you haven't been taken out and trampled underfoot yet. You haven't been called home to heaven yet because you can still be salt. You can still be light in a world that desperately needs you to be those things. And as you do those things, God's name will be glorified. You may not be effective. You may not be as successful as the great heroes of the past. I think of someone like William Wilberforce who, because of this and his desire to influence the world around him, led to the Uh, end of of the slave trade in England. We may not have statues built to our name, but we don't have to. Because our goal is to see God's name glorified. See God's name exalted. And when we are salt, when we are light, that will inevitably happen because of the transformation that Jesus has already worked in us. You see, we don't act as salt and light to earn our way into heaven. We act as salt and light as a result of the work that Jesus has already done in our lives. And so the question for us today is, 
Is that true of you? Has Jesus transformed your life, your heart already so that you are now living as salt and light in a dark and dying world? If He has, then maybe you need to think about where can I be effective? Where can I influence the world for good? Where can I push back against the rot? Where can I shine a light into the darkness? Maybe you need to come and pray and ask the Lord to reveal that to you. Where it is that you can be most effective, most used by Him for the glory of His name. Maybe you realize that you've not been salt and light. You've just been lightly salted. And you need to seek His wisdom to know how you can be effective. Or maybe you realize that you've never been transformed at all. You would like to do good. You would like to see things change. But but that's not happening because you've never trusted Jesus to begin with. And so there's still rot and death and darkness inside your heart. And you need to trust Jesus for the very first time. And ask Him to transform you and make you salt and light. If that's you, then in just a minute, I would invite you to come and talk to me and let me know that you need to be forgiven of your sins. You need to be transformed so that these things can be true of you as well. But I would encourage you, if you are a believer in Christ, find a way, even this week, to start pushing back, to be salt, to be light. It's what we're called to be. It's what Jesus expects of us. And until He returns... Let's link arms together. Let's unite as a church body and think about ways that we can continue to push back against the rot and darkness that we see in the world around us. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You for the transformation that You have worked in our lives, for those that have trusted in Christ to make us into something that we were not, to make us into salt and light. Lord, we aren't always as effective as we wish that we were. We aren't always as eager to put ourselves in situations to be salt and light. Sometimes, Lord, we fear the darkness. We fear the rot and decay. But, Lord, the wonderful thing about salt and light is that no amount of rot and darkness can make it not salt or make it not light. Lord, you have made us into something that cannot be overcome by darkness or evil. And so, Lord, let us use what you have given us, what you have made us into for your good and for your glory. So that people around us might see and know that you are God. They might see our joy, our flavoring of of the world around us, of our own lives. And realize that they desperately want what we have. Help us to live in such a way as to induce such glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com Or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. 
You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.